The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speaker. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice from your own physician. Hi, this is Dr. Chad Patton. Um, today's podcast, we'll be discussing uh, the Cleveland Clinic's Back on Trek program, and I am speaking with Dr. Sarah Respento and Dr. Kush Goyle uh, from the Cleveland Clinic. Guys, why don't you take a minute to introduce yourselves and give us a little bit about your background. Sure. So I'm Dr. Respento. I am a psychologist at the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, specializing primarily in chronic pain. Um, I am one of the main psychologists here in the Back on Track program, and I'm looking forward to chatting with all of you today. And I am Kush Goyle. I am one of the medical spine specialists at the Cleveland Clinic. My original training is in physical medicine, rehab, and spine medicine. Uh, I also function as one of the medical uh, directors of the Back on Track program. And as I mentioned, uh, my name is Chad Patton. I'm an orthopedic spine surgeon and um, member of NAS and member of the Public Affairs Committee. Excited to talk to you guys about this article, uh, which was in SpineLine. The Back on Trek program. Um, Sarah, if you would give us a little bit of background. Why was this program needed? What was the vision for the Back on Trek model? Sure. So we know that chronic pain is a public health concern. Um, it affects many, many Americans, many people. Um, and we need to, we needed to identify ways of better managing chronic pain. Uh, so key stakeholders within the Cleveland Clinic uh, with Dr. Machado as our chairman of the Neurological Institute kind of spearheaded this with Dr. Davin and other key stakeholders to really identify uh, how to get patients to the appropriate place for treatment. Um, chronic pain sometimes Gets, gets lost in the shuffle, I think. And we wanted to find ways to get patients to appropriate levels of care um, instead of just unnecessary surgeries or injections. Uh, although there is a place for that for certain, for certain patients, but we wanted to make sure that we were able to manage this from a population health perspective and to really manage large uh, patient populations in an effective way. Uh, that's excellent. And you mentioned the stakeholders. It looks like there are um, multiple providers uh, involved in the treatment of these patients uh, within this program. Uh, you mentioned uh, yourself uh, with psychology, uh, physical therapy. Uh, who else is involved along the way with these patients? So in addition to psychology and physical therapy, there's obviously spine medicine uh, with Dr. Goyle. And then we also had um, a, um, a director of health economics, um, so someone that was able to kind of help with the population health approach, what is the best way to provide this type of treatment to patients, um, particularly if they're experiencing any barriers to treatment, uh, ways to tap into that population base in an effective way. Uh, we've had uh, physical medicine and rehabilitation uh, participate. We've had other neurosurgeons and spine surgeons participate, nursing's involved. So we're really trying to to look at this model, this treatment model from, from multiple perspectives and, and uh, treatment specialties. Excellent. And this is a program that started in 2016, which I imagine required a fair amount of planning to put together. Um, could you tell us about that process? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, this is I think yeah, this is, I was on the planning committee with, uh, as uh, Sarah mentioned, with the population 
health expert. Um, Dr. Benzo, one of our neurosurgeons. Uh, Dr. Gavin, the psychologist, uh, as well as Dr. Machado. So we were all trying to form what is the best way to treat chronic pain uh, in a more accessible manner. Uh, there are other chronic pain programs, even at the Cleveland Clinic, but we try to take the the most effective treatments uh, and try to combine them with the physical therapy and the behavioral medicine aspect. And those are the two primary focuses uh, of the treatment uh, within the Back on Trek program. Gotcha. And this is this is different from uh, just a pain management program, correct? Correct. This is a, a, a self-management program to help empower patients um, through education and knowledge um, and physical therapy to help to help um, educate them to, to self-manage their pain. Okay. And uh, Dr. Goyle, how do patients get referred to the program? Is this uh, a referral source from um, other physicians, from therapists? Does this have a consumer-facing arm to it? Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, there are many ways to get uh, involved in the Back on Track program. Uh, originally, when we started the program, the primary avenues were uh, through primary care and physical therapy. Uh, then we expanded our access uh, to the spine medicine department, the pain management department, uh, as well as our spine surgeons. Um, but also patients uh, can uh, directly call in um, and uh, try to schedule evaluations uh, with our uh, team. Uh, that's excellent. I certainly, I think we all have experience with trying to get patients to the most appropriate provider, and certainly I see that as well in my own practice. Uh, patients in chronic pain who have, for lack of a better word, bounced around the system quite a bit, uh, trying to get the appropriate help. Um, I think this is an incredible program, and uh, congratulate you guys on putting this together. It's great. Um, would either one of you be able to? kind of walk us through the patient experience in terms of from entering the program uh, and that initial triage and kind of walk us through uh, the, the first few steps. Uh, Dr. Goyle, would you like to start kind of from your perspective when you see them initially in your office as a yeah. for the spine, the medical spine appointment, and then I can kind of tag team yeah. that? Perfect. So when I see a patient in uh, our spine medicine clinic, uh, when you evaluate a patient, you want to evaluate if it's an acute, subacute, or chronic pain uh, situation. And some patients, uh, as you're talking to them and also as you observe them and while you examine them, there are certain uh, characteristics you see during the exam that sometimes make you think, that lead you to think that they may have a chronic pain syndrome. Uh, so as you are gaining more information uh, and you think that they would benefit from a more multidisciplinary approach to their uh, problem, uh, then I often discuss with them about what this back on truck program involves and uh, what are the responsibilities of the patient and how much effort it will take to uh, be a success in this program. And some of our patients are actually not coming from spine medicine, so it's an added bonus when they've already seen Dr. Goyle or one of our other spine providers to kind of um, explain what the program um, offers and, and almost provide that reassurance that this is a good a good treatment option for them. Uh, they like to hear and get that reassurance from a, a, a spine provider. 
but sometimes patients are referred from, um, are self-referred or referred from physical therapy. Sometimes they're referred from their primary care physicians, which is um, excellent. We, we love when we get those referrals, uh, but they still have some lingering questions. And so uh, we can, when they come for their initial evaluation with me as a psychologist, uh, we can then refer them to Dr. Goyles to a spine specialist or um, to, to get to get that additional evaluation. But when they come for their initial evaluation with me, what I'm really trying to get a, a nice picture of is to kind of paint a picture of how all these psychosocial stressors can interfere with their overall pain experience. Uh, so I really want to communicate to them that their pain is real and it's exactly what they say it is. However, these psychosocial experience, life experiences, stressors can really contribute to a worsening pain experience. And so it takes a little bit of... Um, explanation and, and, and education to help uh, help the patient better understand why they're seeing a psychologist, but then to also norm normalize the experience that we want to empower you to, to learn to self-manage your pain and to really empower the patient to, to realize, okay, it's not all in your head, um, but to some degree, we, we want to figure out how we can change the way we think about the pain and, and work through different life experiences to improve the overall pain experience. I find in my own practice that many patients are somewhat surprised to hear or learn about uh, the uh, uh, association of uh, depression, anxiety, and other uh, mental health burdens on their pain. And so I think that your your program is really targeting that. Um, you know, something that we all know is a, is a factor, but sometimes a somewhat of a surprise uh, to patients. Um, as such, do you are there difficulties or challenges with getting patient buy-in? I, I mean, this the program sounds fantastic from a provider standpoint. Do patients struggle with the concept of entering the program? Uh, from my perspective, uh, I'll, I'll ask them: Do you think there's a relationship between your stress, your pain? Um, your daily activity, your anxiety or depression or whether um, psychosocial issues they have, do you think there's a relation to your to that and your function? And if they understand that, oh yeah, my pain gets worse and my I get more depressed, or yeah, when I have when I get more depression, I tend to be more inactive. Then I will we'll kind of feed off that information and try to explain how this program can educate them uh, and help them deal with their chronic pain. Excellent. And so, in these, in the, according to your description within the paper, sounds like this is pretty intensive during the first uh, few weeks, uh, and maybe that changes as the as weeks go by. As a twelve week program, is that correct? So we've actually been adapting the program since um, we implemented it a couple years ago because we're 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 getting patient feedback, um, and we're trying and we're looking at our, our our own outcomes to figure out how we can best enhance the program, um, and really create a, a a treatment approach that is best for all types of patients um, who are on the lower to medium risk for prolonged disability. Um, so. Initially, it was 12 weeks, but we've adapted it. Um, a lot of the, the um, systematic reviews for cognitive behavioral therapy for pain suggest anywhere between 6 to 12 sessions. So we really tried to optimize it at first at the 12 sessions. But now what we're doing is when patients come in for 
their evaluation um, and they begin the program after both their physical therapy and behavioral medicine evaluations in a month, we are reevaluating them to see, okay, are you, are you meeting your goals? What is that, that has that healthy skepticism about the, about the program kind of turned into more of a functional goal where you, where you are seeing the connection between your pain and your mood and, and stress and stress levels. Um, and, you know, our, are, should we um, increase some of the some of the sessions? Should we decrease some of the sessions? Do you need the full um, ten ten sessions? We've we've decreased it to ten sessions now. I should I should say that. Um, but to kind of manage and and meet the patients where they are in terms of what their treatment treatment options are. Excellent. So you've modified um, some of the aspects of the program over time based on your experience and feedback, and uh, that's that's excellent. Um, you mentioned that that now patients are actually to call in and and refer themselves to this program. Um, is there any workup, uh, imaging, et cetera? Uh, does that play into their entering into the or being eligible for the program, uh, or uh, simply their duration of chronic pain? Yeah, I think our patient population is actually pretty pretty diverse. There are some patients that may have had uh, an X-ray several years ago and not much workup other than that. There are some patients that have already had maybe a history of back surgeries and several MRIs that have been evaluated by either a pain uh, specialist or a spine medicine specialist who come into the program. Um, but if, while they're in the program, if they're, you know, they're, they're not uh, uh, succeeding in decreasing their pain or becoming more functional, there are times where uh, all patients will get referred back to me to, for further evaluation to see if there's anything structurally going on that they may benefit from. So patients can, uh, while they're in the program, I can also see them as well uh, to evaluate them for further imaging or further uh, procedures. And I should say too that our physical therapists do a great job kind of determining whether or not uh, they need, patients need to be referred back to spine for additional imaging or for an, an additional evaluation. Gotcha. So it sounds like you're, the physical therapists are are functioning uh, very much in sort of the front line of evaluating these patients and, and helping to identify who would be great for your program, who needs to see um, more spine specialist care. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's excellent. Uh, certainly uh, important as we look at this from a population health standpoint. Does the program have a separate pharmacologic arm? And how do you deal with medication management, or is it completely separate from the program? I'll start this out, Sarah, and then you can uh, join in after me. Sure. Uh, so, again, some patients are coming into the program on uh, just over-the-counter medications, or some of them are being referred by a practitioner or a physician. And during the uh, 10 weeks of the program, uh, we're not, we are not managing uh, their medications uh, in, the, in the program. But if they are having concurrent management with their physician or practitioner, their uh, pharmacological treatment can be uh, observed. Um, you know, some patients may come in on uh, other substances um, that can be addictive, and we do have a, uh, a focus for them as well. Great. And so some patients are experiencing, um, you know, depression or anxiety that might require um, or benefit from additional um, medication 
to help manage their mood or to at least stabilize them to more fully engage in the program. We do have a psychiatrist that we refer to, and we also have other colleagues um, within our center who um, do a phenomenal job evaluating these patients to kind of um, recommend some medications that might be useful for them, both for chronic pain and, and mood management. Great. And you you may have already touched on this, but it sounds like perhaps over time as the program has evolved, uh, has the inclusion and exclusion criteria for the program changed as well? Yeah. Uh, so originally as a pilot, we uh, had the age was between 18 and 65 years old. Uh, now we there is no uh, age restriction uh, beyond the age of 65. And we also previously had a restriction of having no history of uh, any spine surgery. And now that um, exclusion has been uh, lifted. Excellent. Certainly, um, you know, we all see patients um, who have had surgery and continue to struggle with chronic pain, and, and those can be challenging patients as well. That's great. Uh, in terms of location, um, is this all being delivered in a single geographic location? Is this spread out to multiple clinic sites? And how do you how do you manage this? So the program, I guess, would be considered both interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary because uh, we have at one location, uh, we do have all of the providers under one roof. Um, so physical therapy and behavioral medicine are all um, communicating and, and meeting um, uh, weekly to discuss the patients who are in the program and make sure that everyone's on track and to see uh, what other treatment options we can offer, if any. And then uh, I would suggest that maybe one of them is multidisciplinary only because uh, due to um, there's one location where behavioral medicine is, and then there's another location where physical therapy is. But regardless, they all the providers are still communicating and um, discussing the, the patients on a weekly basis and, and determining you know, how patients are progressing and if there's anything else that needs to be done for, for each individual patient. Uh, so we do a really good job of, of making sure that everyone's on the same page in terms of providing treatment for the patient. Great. So your paper in the spine line, uh, discuss the results of the first 50 patients, and the results and outcomes were pretty impressive. I think that greater than 70% of the patients attained uh, clinically significant improvement in their disability scores. 55% uh, or more attained significant improvement in their promised physical function scores. So obviously, this is impacting pain and function. Um, since those first 50 patients, are you seeing similar trends? Uh, any updates in your data since then? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think with our initial outcomes in the article, uh, like you said, we had a tremendous success uh, as far as statistically significant difference uh, for uh, depression scores and um, promise and function scores. Um, so that initial subset is now expanded to our first 100 patients, 150 graduates, 200, and now 250 graduates. And we've seen the same uh, significant difference in all disciplines uh, now uh, going into three years. That's impressive. And is this sort of a rolling admission, if you will, into the program, or do you have certain start times? 
So we have, uh, I guess you'd call it a rolling admission. We have open groups. So someone who is in week 10 of the program might also be with someone who's in week two or three or five of the program. Um, so we try, we keep track of the, the week that each patient is in um, and making sure that they're getting both the physical therapy and behavioral medicine components each week that they're in their treatment. And is the physical therapy um, uh, treatment, is that individualized or is that also a part of the uh, a group treatment? So it's both. It's individual sessions as well as group physical therapy sessions. Excellent. I think it's wonderful. It's a very uh, creative idea, certainly something that is needed for this patient population. And obviously, you guys have demonstrated um, a need for this program as your volume has increased over time. Um, about how many patients a month are entering the program, or how do you, how does that look over time? So at any given time, we're trying to maintain uh, between, I think, 38 to 40 patients in the program, given the, the staffing that we have. Uh, mm -hmm. And we've been um, able to kind of do that successfully over the last several months of maintaining that, that, patient, pop, that patient number. Gotcha. And, and what does the staffing look like? Um, you know, for someone that's maybe like myself that would be looking to put together a, a similar program, what, what would be the minimum um, stakeholders uh, to put this together? Well, I guess I should should clarify that the the forty patients are for one location. Uh, mm -hmm. There are the other the two other locations that also um, have their own um, patient load as well. Uh, but we have uh, three um, mental health providers, so psychologists and, and a counselor, as well as um, several physical therapists who are um, seeing the the patients on a weekly basis at the different locations that we have. Then we have a program manager. Um, and obviously spine medicine who's who who does some of the evaluations and referrals for us and the psychiatrist who sees patients um, as needed once a week excellent and are there ever cases where patients drop out of the program maybe they're not buying into it or what what's been your feedback from the patient side of things yeah we've learned a lot over the course of the last two or three years um, so we've we've looked at after our first year um, you know, our percent of, of dropout rate and kind of the reasons for that. So after patients uh, have been referred in and actually have had their initial evaluations, um, we've seen up to maybe even 50% um, dropout for various reasons. Uh, some of the reasons that they have dropped out are um, they may have uh, other coexisting biopsychosocial uh, anxiety and depression that may require uh, more intensive treatment from a psychiatrist. Uh, other reasons were transportation, um, trying to get to the locations, the time commitment, and scheduling conflicts. Gotcha. And when you designed this program uh, and you've seen the outcomes along the way, you've seen your successes and maybe some areas where you've learned a little bit, have you looked at other programs, other institutions, um, other other models in your community or elsewhere uh, that are also doing this? Uh, yeah, originally there's a uh, chronic pain rehab program from, at the Cleveland Clinic that was a, a good uh, model for us in terms of starting this program. Um, as we talked about earlier, we took a couple of the key features of that program to initiate this back on track program. But there are other programs in the country that are considered functional restoration programs. Um, 
and there's other programs that are looking uh, at how to uh, treat chronic back pain from a public health point of view, you know, whether it's uh, at Stanford or Vanderbilt or uh, in Texas. And we've had communication with some of their uh, leaders in terms of how they are achieving success in their programs and also try to learn from each other. And I think one of the benefits to having um, the chronic pain rehabilitation program uh, here at the clinic, in addition to the back on track, is that we're able to get patients to the appropriate level of care. So uh, I had mentioned earlier that ideally um, folks who are at the low to medium risk for prolonged disability would be best suited probably in, in a back on track program, um, in the back on track program, whereas folks who are at a higher risk for prolonged disability with significant psychosocial stressors, they would probably, or, or um, you know, comorbid substance use. Um, issues or significant psychiatric um, comorbidities, then they would probably be best suited for um, this intensive outpatient program, uh, the chronic pain rehabilitation intensive outpatient program that's being developed. Gotcha. And upon referral to the program, in terms of evaluating that level of risk, low, medium, or high, uh, I know in the article you mentioned the start back screening tool as one of the components to that. Is that something you're still using? Is that part of the um, risk stratification for these patients? Yeah, so we're still using the START screening screening tool. And then we're also um, asking questions about their psychiatric history. Uh, we're gathering data on, on pain catastrophizing and fear avoidance beliefs um, using some of the scales that have been developed for that. We um, gather data using the PHQ. Uh, so we're really trying to look at this from multiple perspectives to kind of provide the best treatment option for each patient, really make it an individualized approach. That's cool. And have you seen any any differences in improvement based on their level of risk where they started? In other words, is a low-risk patient uh, more likely to succeed, if you will, through the program versus someone at higher risk, or is every, or do you see um, changes throughout the whole group? I think we've had successes at, uh, I know we've had success at, I'd say, all three levels, low, moderate, and high risk. Um, I don't uh, have available how, if there's been a change in the amount of success uh, in comparison to the three groups, uh, but that is something we are looking at. So we do also collect uh, data from the um, Oswestry, the ODI, the Oswestry Disability Index, and we are noticing that there is improvement in patients' perceived level of, of pain-related functioning. So there is an improvement in that as patients are going through the program. And that kind of looks at, at, at uh, risk for prolonged disability as well, based on patients' perception of, of their impaired ability, impaired functioning. Excellent. If I'm an insurance company looking at this patient population, it would seem like a great idea to direct high-risk patients, high-resource utilization patients towards a program like this. Have you had any discussions with insurance companies or have any insight in terms of reimbursement or maybe even programs like this being prerequisites to having uh, interventions such as uh, injections or surgeries or other procedures? Yeah, part of the reason for this program uh, to be starting was to control the cost of uh, chronic back pain. So initially, after our first uh, one year of outcomes, we have reached out to a couple uh, insurance companies and presented our kind of initial data, uh, and they were very intrigued by the results. 
Um, since that time, we are again gathering further long-term data uh, in order to present to them uh, how this can be cost-effective uh, for the treatment of back pain, as well as how it improve outcomes, and sometimes and may actually decrease the need for uh, follow-up visits um, with a, in, in, uh, a decrease in healthcare utilization. And as far as uh, interdisciplinary pain rehabilitation programs in general, uh, the literature show, suggests and shows that uh, they are effective and they, they are kind of a gold standard. Biopsychosocial models are kind of a gold standard for um, treating chronic pain. As far as this program, I think we're still trying to collect additional long-term data to really make the, the case to insurance companies and demonstrate the durability of treatment effects. That's great. Well, in addition to that, what are the next steps for the program? What's the next steps for you guys? You've obviously done a lot of work. You've been able to assemble a tremendous team to help these patients. What are what are your guys' goals? What's the next step for the program? We are continuing continuing to learn and grow from the patients that we work with. Uh, we want to make this an accessible and realistic program while also making it a a um, a worthwhile treatment approach for patients we, we we want it we want it to work for folks um, and so currently we're collecting um, some feedback from graduates of the program feedback from folks who maybe just didn't think the program was for them trying to uh, continually look at what are some barriers to treatment, what are barriers to, to getting to the appointments, what are uh, what's preventing patients maybe from participating in the program, whether it's patient characteristics or other, um, you know, variables that are outside of their control. And we're continually talking as a, as a treatment team and with our key stakeholders to see how we can optimize this as a, as a gold standard of care for patients who have chronic low back pain. And we're also working on trying to potentially expand this program um, for other patient populations, uh, maybe even before surgery or after surgery, uh, or even for patients who actually do not live locally and who uh, potentially we could present some of the information remotely. I was going to say this, a lot of this would be excellent for online education or um, communication. I think that's a great idea. Absolutely. Have you... Moving forward, for, for our listeners um, out in the community taking care of spine patients, what advice would you offer um, to put together a similar program in their community? I think first you have to have the ability to understand how the biopsychosocial impact can affect chronic pain. That's a, an initial first step. And then you have to also make the time when you're seeing a patient to discuss with them the role of these biosocial, biosocial stressors on their pain experience. And that's a first step. And then you need a lot of support. You'll need support administratively, as well as uh, patients who are pain psychologists and not just physical therapists, but physical therapists who are trained in either chronic pain or in uh, psychologically informed uh, PT. Well, I'd like to thank you both for joining us. Dr. Sarah Respento and Dr. Kush Goyle, uh, thank you both so much for your time, and I congratulate you again on uh, great work in putting together a program much needed for the treatment of these patients. Thank you. Thank you for having us today. Thank you. 